Hello and welcome to AZ Community Roundtable. My name is James Cook and I'll be your host. I would like to welcome everyone who could join today. The purpose of this show is to casually talk about Azure. Anything's on the table, news, blogs, all features can be discussed. A quick introduction before we move on to our guests. I've worked in tech over 10 years, eight years at a not-for-profit organization where I progressed in my role. And when I left, I left as a technical architect working with Microsoft, Apple, and Google products. I currently work at a FinTech uh, organization implementing and managing infrastructure solutions, including Azure. And over the last month, I have become a Microsoft Service trainer. Now, I'll move on and uh, let my guest speakers uh, introduce themselves, Chris and Martin. Uh, we'll uh, let Chris introduce himself first. I've been in the cloud space for the past eight years or so now in various forms, working in kind of um, different areas, whether it's infrastructure focused or application focused. I haven't personally gone so much on the data side personally but uh you know data uh, app dev and infra i've uh, played a lot around there uh, so looking forward to joining in the discussion today with everyone that's me i'll let martin introduce himself now yeah i'm martin Terrison. i'm working as a cloud solutions specialist in denmark uh, at a company called hmo um i've been in the industry for about 20 years now, and that's a bit scary saying it out loud, <laughs> but it's quite a long time. Um, been focusing a lot on automation, cloud solutions, and so on for the last three or four years. Uh, also member of the Citrix CDP program. Um, so blogging and writing, helping others out is something I enjoy and spend my evenings doing. Um, yeah, I have a few blogs where I write on Citrix stuff and, of course, on cloud automation stuff as well. Thank you both. Brilliant introductions. So we'll go on to the first talking point. Um, we had uh, MS Build last week. Uh, I take you and uh, Martin and Chris may have tuned in. Um, I know especially Chris has because I've seen some of his uh, blog posts in the last uh, few days. And he actually brings on to one of the talking points I have, which is about the uh, announced Azure application services that can now run on um, outside of Azure, so on Kubernetes, really. So that's, uh, I think the example that was given was um, web applications such as uh, App Service, Azure Functions, Logic Apps, Event Grid, and API management can now run on Kubernetes that are on on-prem, AWS, Google Cloud, and it just opens up that um ability for developers yet to put those applications now on other platforms um, i don't know what you guys thought that news really uh, for me it was a a, a great eye opener that microsoft is literally going to their customers going feel free to um uh develop and also put those services out on other platforms yeah, yeah. I think you've covered it nicely there, James. I think it is just such a big shift for, for something that sounds like a small announcement, you know, where we're able to now deploy this thing on an additional platform. The possibilities it starts unlocking uh, is huge. And I think to take a step back a sec, 
from a Kubernetes perspective, you know, we've been able to run containers on multiple platforms for quite some time now. You know, I think the industry has grown to the concept of containers and Kubernetes as one of the orchestrators that can do that. But if you think about like the application layer on top of that, it's it's been a little more of a difficult discussion because, you know, a container is a container. It could contain anything effectively. But when you think about something like app service, where you've got this opinionated deployment model, you've got all these features that wrap around it, for example, like, um, you know, you've got deployment, set, uh, deployment, I can't think of the words right now, but all these different features anyway that uh, app services gives you. That ability now to take all of that investment that has been made in Azure and use that in AWS or GCP or on-premises, wherever you're running your Kubernetes cluster, I think it's a huge announcement. So um, I, as you mentioned, I've been writing a ton of blog posts on it this week. That's something I'm super, super excited about. So a uh, big announcement for sure. Totally agree on that one. Um... We've been using uh, Azure Functions as well and where we work at the moment. And being able to spread that uh, workload around in other clouds, so we are talking hybrid clouds instead of just the uh, Azure cloud, that, that's a huge benefit. Uh, and also, like, like you said, that the developers can actually do this themselves now. So it's not uh, forcing them to actually learn some new infrastructure. They can learn how to deploy Kubernetes, and, and that's about it. Use the containers where you want. And I think that's the point, isn't it, is so often when new technology comes out, we have to go and relearn something. We have to go and, uh, you know, skill up in a different area, whereas because of that base level of containers making everything consistent, you know, Kubernetes is that orchestrator, which makes it super easy for uh, us to go and orchestrate and manage at scale, which is great. Uh, but now there's these scenarios where, teams like the Azure engineering teams can come along and make these consistent application deployment scenarios across all these platforms. That's something I'm super clear on whenever I'm talking to folks is that Kubernetes is a platform for building platforms. If you're just using it for applications, it, it might be a bit overkill depending upon the scale. Um, but when you start bundling things like this into the mix with Azure Arc, I'm really excited about it. I think uh, it definitely opens up a lot of new opportunities for sure. And the zero arc idea was um, uh, another thing that was like an eye opener. Being able to use that, what I think Microsoft describes it as a single pane of glass, being able to control those Kubernetes clusters in other environments and being able to just deploy through that one interface. Again, that's just uh, makes it so much easier for developers just to learn one uh, interface and being able to just go to one place yet to manage those multiple um, environments um, I, and then again yeah, with it being on like you say Chris on Kubernetes it's not another thing to learn it's literally um, it's already there people's got that knowledge if they don't have to retrain or anything it's just um, expanding your cluster onto different platforms and um, and that's it really it's um amazing uh, so it, for me yeah i listened to the uh the announcement i was like this is literally where developers want to be right now and for me as an infrastructure person it was like yep that's what i would want uh, for developers to have um me being able to help them set up on different platforms yeah on-prem aws google cloud and being able to say to them here you go, 
use your Kubernetes. These, this is your Kubernetes cluster, and this is your single interface here to uh, manage those uh, containers. So, yeah, I have to say, Microsoft pat on the back, really. And uh, the only other thing I did, I was thinking about, was um, the actual code side of things, being able to manage this. And it's a little bit of a another uh, infrastructure as code like question that we might uh, bring up later. But um, using the tool for that, of course, this has came out only recently, and and there's all, all, all support for infrastructure as code, yeah, and everything in regards to Kubernetes. But being uh, choosing the right uh, uh, coding solution is going to be another thing to consider now uh, when um, looking at being managing your Microsoft uh, Kubernetes cluster in one platform and then going off and deploying somewhere else in AWS. So it's, it's another thing that we need to now consider uh, choosing the right product and uh, for that type of stuff as well as PowerShell, uh, CLI and stuff, Azure CLI is another uh, consideration when we are looking at um, moving these services to another uh, solution, a cloud provider. So I um, don't know what you guys think about that. Well, that part and go first. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something to, to think about now because I've been using Azure for just about everything I'm doing in the cloud. I've been doing a bit of ABS. Um, but now when we need to deploy on multi-cloud as well, we need to think of the right tools and the right coding language. So where we might have used HSGLI before to do some of the deployments there, we maybe should be moving into a new tool uh, or another tool like Terraform or uh, Ansible or whatever, or just regular PowerShell. Um, and I think one of Chris's points later on is actually choosing the right tool as well. So we can also talk uh, pipelines and so on if you're using Jenkins or SQLops or GitHub. So, so there's definitely a lot going on, on on the infrastructure side here. So maybe we as infrastructure consultants, that's my main focus as well. They, we have a bit of more learning to do so we can set the developers free to actually do their stuff uh, more productively. But I see it as a as a fun thing, uh, something I'm looking forward to and uh, looking more into. So definitely something I look forward to. Yeah, completely echo those comments. I think infrastructure as code is definitely the space that has grown over the past four years or so. I think, you know, I I've been talking about it for at least that amount of time, and I think I'm hearing a lot more people talking about it these days compared to back then. And I think the point about things like Terraform or Pulumi, where you've got almost, I wouldn't say agnostic, that's kind of the wrong word, but I think neutral, as you put it, was a great way. Um, because something like Terraform, it's not like you write it once and you can deploy it to uh, any environment like an AWS or a GCP or Azure. Um, you've got to write it for each individual specific platform. The framework is consistent. The way you write the code is consistent, but you still have to hook into a specific provider. But I think the benefit of something like, and I'm sure we'll come to this later, right, but maybe a bit of a hook for now, is um, something like Terraform is desired state versus something like PowerShell, which is more imperative. And I think when you get into that scenario where you're thinking about on-premises, where you're thinking about multiple clouds, 
do you really want to be in the scenario where you've got to go ahead um, imperatively through your PowerShell code, figuring out if this scenario happens, then do this, or if this case happens, do this, and try and make that generic across you know four or five different hosting environments? Probably not, at least in my opinion. I, I'd rather um, offload that to some kind of tool to do that for me and have it desired state. So. I think, yeah, I think I think it really yeah. comes down to yeah, uh, uh, the customer or uh, the business you work for. Um, there's I've always had this uh, discussion about the multi-cloud um, topic. Where should you put all your eggs in one basket? Is the um, uh, question, and a lot of people go, well, if you've got multi-region uh, support, yeah, it's over GR redundancy and everything, why wouldn't you stick with one cloud provider? But I think we've had this experience in the last uh, year or two, yeah, where uh, sticking with one cloud provider can um, sometimes um, cause some issues, yeah, and this is where the uh, the talk um, I've seen a lot of few, uh, news articles coming out from people about talking about, uh, I think the uh, uh, the wording is cloud platform redundancy now so being able to have that multi-cloud environment yeah to then be able to support if um say aws or uh, google cloud yeah do or azure uh, goes down um being able to uh, load balance your traffic over to another provider and and um definitely yeah, with the web application um that azure has um uh, allowed uh, to be now um multi-platform uh, it does uh gives that cloud platform redundancy um more of a talking point now in uh, the community why why would you do it and uh, why wouldn't you do it um like you say chris why would you uh, uh, start learning more than one uh, cloud platform it's more it's more overhead yeah more costly yeah for uh training people uh, individuals or recruiting more um uh, knowledge um, in people yet yeah, to be able to uh, support that um, it, it is it's going to be I think over the next uh, few months I think it's going to be a, a big topic around um, why why would you want to do it um, what's the uh, what's the uh, problems that could uh, uh, occur when doing this in regards to not just technically but also um, uh, knowledge sharing and um, uh, and other things really so um i think um uh, this space uh, and this talk will uh, uh extend for the next few months and in into the future really um yeah i, I don't think we've got any questions out on uh twitter at the moment uh, but um, i'm more than happy to uh, move on if uh, you guys are happy and uh, move on to uh martin's uh topic of uh, choice and i think yeah i touched a little bit on it but um i think it built up the um the conversation well um really yeah it does actually because the, the topic i brought to the table is actually introductory code um and and not in the sense that we need to choose a tool because we can talk to that about that anyway but We've seen more and more traction right on, on the public clouds and moving there that and especially in Azure and Denmark at least. And basically all the time as a consultant, we get the question, how do we get started? And what's important when we're going to, going to move workloads and services to the cloud? Um, and what we've been seeing is that the, the use of infrastructure as code just makes the services and installations more reliable, more traceable. Um, and actually easier just to maintain and understand for the customers as well. But they're they're kind of scared 
in the beginning because it's a it's a big change for them and they used vmware or hyper v on on location and just use templates and then manually installing all the software afterwards and that's been working for them for for a long time um, and it could still be working actually in azure as well but the, we just see that they, when they start using infrastructure as code, that they, they trust the platform more. They know they can go back in time if they use the pipelines and so on, and source code and source versioning. And that's the, one of the talking points. I, I want to get some feedback from from you guys as well. Um, are you seeing the same um, as we're doing here in Denmark, uh, where infrastructure as code is getting traction now and is getting talk time at customers? Oh, uh I think it's one of these things. Um, I started learning Azure properly as a certification path uh, at the beginning of like January last year. And when I started learning there, um, I was doing the fundamentals and I built onto the administration. But once I started learning the administration, I started learning more about um, infrastructure as code. And I moved on to, at the time, there was a, few, a couple of products, but nothing um, um, of uh, as big as HashiCorp uh, Terraform and that's the one i started learning and that's the one that i started to uh play around with some open projects on from github so i playing around with being able to deploy stuff into azure and learning how that all connects with uh, state based yeah um and uh, so on and so forth and literally um i've been now advocating the use of infrastructure as code in our company, not just in Azure, but also as a on-prem um, uh, tool to uh, be able to go, okay, we should be using this yeah, to uh, identify um, state-based stuff and being able to uh, 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 destroy and rebuild um, infrastructure. And I think it's l literally um, growing and Microsoft uh, have been working on tools the last Thing about over a year now, and I know uh, in the last couple of months, um, Bicep, which is a uh, a uh, Microsoft project, and uh, um, I think it is open source as well because a lot of people are committing uh, to developing it, um, is uh, getting traction and it's getting uh, a lot of popularity around with uh, uh, Microsoft employees as well as. Uh, 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 certified trainers, uh, MVPs, they're all talking about it on Twitter. So, um, and I've seen a lot of good work. And it's very like uh, Terraform, but there's a few more uh, advanced features you can get from it. And, I, 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 and then there's more products uh, like Pulumi and um, I'm trying to remember the other ones, but uh, they're the, the big ones I know about. And um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, this is, um, I think it's no way around it. We, we are now in um, the over the last uh, few years of moving infrastructure in more into a developer mindset. So we are thinking uh, the way of a developer we code to implement infrastructure, especially when it comes to cloud, um, the physical side of hardware and uh, web UI implementation is, um, I would say, dissolving um, that skill set. Uh, it's still needed for a lot of things, but uh, infrastructure as code is um, now a factor in making decisions when you are looking at deploying resources into virtual environments, uh, including cloud. So, yeah, absolutely, I agree with all of that. I think when we boil infrastructure as code down, it really comes back to DevOps principles, right? It's all about consistency. It's all about making sure that we can 
do the things that we need to do in an automated way. And I think until, you know, we've always had PowerShell, uh, or it feels like anyway, we've always had PowerShell. Uh, we've got Azure CLR, we've got, uh, you know, CLIs for individual cloud providers, and it's kind of fragmented in that sense. And I think, you know, something like Terraform is great where you can go and start standardizing on a consistent framework. Bicep, again, is great in the sense that it's evolving the ARM template language, the Azure Resource Manager template language um, that is there, making it a lot simpler to understand. I think that was some very common feedback uh, when comparing to Terraform, for example. Um, and I think overall, it's just going to make that process of deployment easier. Is it necessarily the first step people should do when they're on their cloud journey? Probably not. I think you need to kind of nail some of the cloud concepts down first. And for a lot of people, that is just using the portals and understanding how some of these services work, some of the things you need to configure there. Um, but then as you start going through and thinking, right, we want to move towards production. I think what we're seeing, or rather what I'm seeing at least anyway, is a lot of organizations moving away from that world where you know, it's 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 less about individuals going ahead and having the right access permissions and whatnot to go and deploy things, but starting to build pipelines around those infrastructure as code deployments. So rather than me as Chris having the permissions to create the resources in the subscription and manage it that way, I put it all as code into maybe a Git repository or whatever repository, have a pipeline which triggers when there's a change to validates some tests, checks that all out, and goes ahead and, and pushes that out to the cloud. And there's a few benefits to that, which I would just want to pull out a bit more because I think there's a few nuances, and it's picking up on the point chains you mentioned earlier about uh, effectively becoming more like developers. When you think about infrastructure as code, it's infrastructure development. When you think about application code, app development, when you think about like um, automated database deployments, that's data development. When you think about machine learning and data scientists, they've all got notebooks and codes and stuff in GitHub or Git or wherever it may be. And I think we really are seeing that shift to everything as code. And infrastructure as code is one big part of that, which I think is crucial to really running projects at scale on the cloud. Do we all want to be in the state of, operating and trying to track what deployments we've got going where manually. I think the way that we need to do that and be successful is through infrastructure as code. So big fan and agree with everything you've both said. I actually started sneaking infrastructure as code in with uh, several of the customers when we were talking Azure startups and just you know, they're, they're going to remove a test environment and so on into Azure. And I'm just sneaking in infrastructure in this code because uh, just sneaking in uh, NSD rules or firewall rules and so on, using those as code makes sense even to those who's not uh, fond of infrastructure as code because they can actually move back in their firewall rule and NSD rule afterwards. And they can see the benefits of that. And using in that uh, entry point to, and to talking to the operations guys that's not very fond of it, actually starts using the, the, the tools as well and the, the mindset and Next time I need to talk to them applying a new service with uh, new virtual machines or app services and so on, then it's not that hard to convince them to actually use infrastructure as code again because now they're used to using it with firewall rules which they can relate to. So that's that's one of the points I've learned that uh, if we can actually start to find a point that the operations guys are used to using as as code because they're using Cisco firewalls with the, the CLI and SSH and so on, 
that yeah. can be moved forward. And and there's a great point in that as well. You mentioned about you know ne- um, I think it was network security groups or firewall rules, yeah. and when you think about certain industries where they have loads of compliance. Uh, rules that they need to go and hit, for example, or demonstrate certain things. Maybe even not that. Maybe even just understanding what the current state looks like. The great benefit of infrastructure as code is that it, it is self-documenting because it's all code. So you don't need to go and figure out who made the change to the firewalls that suddenly let our APIs loose and everyone can call them directly. You can go and check that, for example, in who made the commits if you need to go and do that. Um, all of those commits can obviously have reasons associated behind them if you need to go and do that but the real value is that actually everything is self-documenting so if you need to go and see what the current state of the infrastructure should look like because things like arm templates and uh, terraform for example are all desired state configuration you can see what the state of the environment should be at that point in time and if you are just controlling that entire environment through a pipeline rather than letting people individually update, create, delete resources, then that should be the state of the environment. And that's a huge benefit that I think sometimes I certainly take for granted, but actually is quite a big uh, a big point to make there. Yeah, and I think, yeah, another thing to uh, remember with uh, infrastructure as code, yeah, there's a lot of uh, Py tools coming out in regards to static code analysis. I've, I've done a, a couple um blog posts on that topic now where being able to scan the code before you deploy it and being able to find vulnerabilities your know, configuration incorrectness is powerful um, it's been an, when I've been speaking to other people it's been an eye-opener being able to go oh there's something wrong with my code um, which means there's going to be something wrong with my infrastructure when I deploy it so being able to work I think if they say it's not work backwards, uh, work uh, more left, I think the saying is. Um, but being able to work, uh, identify before you deploy, it's amazing rather than having a user being able to implement something and by user error implement a uh, vulnerability or a security risk and not being able to identify that without having an audit done on your environment after you've implemented the infrastructure. It's, it's one of those... Um, no, another developer type stance here yeah, where developer code is has static code analysis and is identified before they deploy the application yeah, that is what have I coded is there a secret that shouldn't be in clear text format yeah, and should be encrypted um, that philosophy being applied to infrastructure is very strong and when you talk to customers yeah, or fellow colleagues about oh you're you're able to do this before you uh build it's it's an eye-opener going well for a security perspective this is amazing and i, I spoke to, uh, when we speak to our inf- uh, infosec team in uh, internally in my company it's, it's like yeah well this is the way we we want to go because we'd be able to um, uh, mon- look at those reports from static code analysis tools yet yeah, to then go that isc has either change because um, it's now detecting a change in the um, when applying this, uh, the infrastructure changes or oh the static code analysis has come back here with um, there's a clear a clear password yeah you, you can't with like in the pipeline in a, um, a, a pull request or whatever being able to then flag it to say you can't merge it with a commit or deploy to an environment because it's got that vulnerability it's it's a, it's a, um, a game changer 
definitely. We, we see that as well in all the, the, the pre-checks and then uh, if you're using PowerShell, using uh, pesta test in, in the pipelines as well. It's just so valuable for both us as a consultant, but also for internal companies uh, starting to use this as well. So we definitely see attraction on, on that side as well. And also one of the reasons we get the questions is what can we do about security in public clouds? Because of course that's a hot topic for everyone. So this is uh, something that helps them as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, I think we'll move on to Chris now because it moves on to another relatable topic, yeah, which is, um, I'll let him uh, explain it to you. Absolutely, thanks, James. So I guess the topic I wanted to bring along to the table was uh, different DevOps tools, really. I think uh, over my time working with organizations, I've always been customer facing, so almost always in this kind of consultative engineering uh, facing role, I guess, and facing outwards to customers. And I guess some of the things that I wanted to bring to the table were really, of course, there's an elephant in the room about Azure DevOps and GitHub, and I know it's on a lot of people's minds, so I wanted to uh, bring that one to the table and discuss that a little bit here. Um, but also just maybe talk a bit around what you folks are seeing as well in terms of DevOps tools. Like one of the ways I, I commonly describe some of the setups that I see is almost like a Frankenstein DevOps approach where you've got loads of different tools to go and hook together the, the version control, the build pipeline, the release pipeline, and maybe static code analysis and container image scanning and all the different tools, right? You've You've got every single one of them. So we can come maybe back to the uh, Azure DevOps and GitHub discussion in, in a moment, but maybe let's start off with just the types of things you're seeing people use in the wild and what yourselves are using as well. Well, if I start on that one, we, we are mostly using Azure DevOps today and trying to use that as much as possible. Um, so the broadest range of the tools that provide in that one. So we are using the, the GitHub repos, of course, in Azure DevOps. We are using boards uh, to control our workflows and our work items um, and trying to couple those into the, the actually commits and so on we're, we're doing inside of Azure DevOps. Um, that's the primary tool we're using. Of course, we're seeing some GitHub as well, um, but it's not much yet. Um, but as you said, well, let's let's get into that discussion later on. Uh, what's getting moved in there? But the the, the wiki, uh, all for documentation, the, the boards for all the work items, and the the, the pipelines for both releases and builds and scanning um, whatever we can for making our code deployments as secure as possible. I think um, for me personally, uh, my company um, has used uh, quite a handful of. Um, uh, DevOps products, I should say. Uh, I came in um, a couple of years ago and uh, the transition from Jenkins to uh, Azure DevOps was happening. So for me, seeing that uh, transformation, um, I find it with most products, they're quite similar in DevOps. It's uh, the bigger names um, like uh, Azure DevOps and uh, GitHub seem to uh, bring more to the table just purely because they got more of a customer base um, so I know personally from my personal opinion um, I like I like Azure DevOps I use a lot with Azure DevOps I, uh, I build all my pipelines for it for personal and work projects and so on and so forth but 
uh, when it comes to um, my um, preferred DevOps tool would be GitHub. I've started learning more about GitHub once I started introducing GitHub Actions and uh, being able to do what I can do in Zero DevOps and GitHub seems to be a no-brainer. Um, the, the community around GitHub um, is uh, bigger. There's a lot of open source projects um, to uh, work on. Um, and again, you can fork these uh, repos and put them into Azure DevOps and everything. But being able to uh, have that um, documented uh, platform like, uh, from GitHub and everything and having all that knowledge yeah, uh, shared online um, it's, there's, so, it's so there's so much more than uh, any other platform and being able to go okay well my preferred platform would be github is purely because it brings all the functions like azure devops and that's the one i would recommend um it's one that i'm trying to advocate in the company to go come on let's make the switch let's be brave and let's go github um but um it's it's uh, it's not as easy as that as uh, you guys probably are aware you can't just pick up um a uh, prod uh, a product and uh, move it uh, across yeah your pipelines and everything because um it doesn't just work that way um but yeah it's um they're the primary two zero devops and uh github but i i, I have a, a experienced um jenkins um which um yeah I, 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 again it's a very strong product and a, a big uh customer base but in, in personally in comparison it's, it's definitely um um not as big as uh the the customer base and uh i, I would I, I keep saying customer base but i would say fan base more uh, uh there's a lot of uh fan people around um that content so uh, there's a lot more documented uh information on that so yeah gotcha and i think there's a few interesting points that you both said in there just just to pull those out a bit here um uh, the number one is going to be you know something like github or azure devops uh I, th I think you mentioned this james that it's almost like the full suite of products from a devops tooling perspective that you'd need so going from planning all the way to coding throw to build release and everything in between right Whereas there are tools like Jenkins or Jira or all of these other ones that we've heard of in the wild um, that do a job really well, but then you might have to plug that in with some kind of other tool or somewhere along the way as uh, technical leadership has changed in the organization, uh, different tools have come along and then you get this Frankenstein kind of architecture uh, for a DevOps platform that I mentioned earlier. But uh, I think, as you say, GitHub and Azure DevOps are both almost this full suite of products. And I think that sometimes makes it a little bit challenging because, of course, now both Azure DevOps and GitHub are owned by Microsoft, which is the right tool, which is the one that you should go for. That's that's often I see a question asked when I'm doing some of my community talks and uh, when I'm uh, discussing with folks. And I, you nailed it when you said a bit earlier there, James, that you need to pick the right tool and you know you need to evaluate and you can't just shift over because there's another tool there right it's not necessarily the right thing to do and i think that's the exact same recommendation from a azure devops versus github perspective as well because there are certain things that azure devops does really well there are certain things that github does really well so for example when you think about those enterprise scenarios where you need super super duper 
granular role-based access control, or maybe you need to uh, have your code hosted in a specific region, for example. Well, GitHub isn't quite there yet with some of those things. Like when you when you create your Azure DevOps organization, you have to pick a region where that Azure DevOps organization is going to be deployed. You don't really have that concept with GitHub. Um, when you think about the permissions control you have, yes, you have roles and some level of permissions inside of GitHub, but it's not quite as granular as Azure DevOps because it's been brought up from uh, you know, that, that level with something like Team Foundation Server where it originated from. But on the flip side, GitHub is, of course, probably the world's biggest platform from an open source perspective and that's really where github originated right so when you think about that social experience of coding and developing with other folks it's brilliant from that perspective and you mentioned github actions i'm such a huge fan of github actions and i'm probably going to stop talking in a moment because i could go on for ages talking about github actions and how much i love it but there are some really brilliant features in github and i think uh like I say, you know, it's not just a case of we need to use either GitHub or Azure DevOps. Uh, coming back to the point Martin made earlier, you can absolutely use both with each other. Why not use Azure Boards? Because it has a lot more you know, enterprise feel that you need from a uh, managing your backlogs and your processes, for example, compared with GitHub issues. Why not use GitHub repos because you want that social coding experience, but then use Azure Pipelines because you need more granular control. That's what than what's in GitHub Actions today. And it's all pluggable in that way. So I think they are a great combination that you could use together, to be honest. And they've been a combination for uh, a while before Actions. Mm. You used to be using GitHub for the repository side, yeah, and then pushing off uh, anything in regards to pipelines, yeah, off to Azure DevOps. So it's they're always coincided. And when obviously when Microsoft purchased it and everything, yeah, that, that build has gone over to github yeah and github's features gone over to your devops we have seen that and i think i think um i've been one of those people but i think uh, last year at ignite year when i started seeing a lot of talk at a uh, ignite event and it's all around github um, and i think it was the same again with um this year's uh, Ignite and, and uh, MS Build is a lot of talk about GitHub and there's a lot of uh, downplay about uh, Azure DevOps and, that, and I think that's one of the things you've had a lot of customers see from um, that perspective. You're not being able to um, see, um, oh, well, there's not a lot of work going on on Azure DevOps, it doesn't seem like it. So is GitHub uh, going to be the replacement and Azure DevOps going to be deprecated in couple of years time or years time so do we start considering it now and i think uh, uh this ms build i think that, that that talk did come up and i think a lot of um, microsoft employees from the azure devops teams yeah came out going no 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 we've all this these all that's been uh announced and i think yeah in the background these features are coming out here and there and everywhere but it's just not being highlighted at these events and i think that's a very um uh, a bad approach here by Microsoft um, not to talk about Azure DevOps along with GitHub. I think they both have to have the same stage presence if you want to give customers the reassurance yeah, that both products are here to work together or uh, <clears throat> or something like that because uh, at the moment it just looks like oh we're going to go ahead and um, um, just use GitHub in the end um, because we're just talking about GitHub just 
just move over because all we're talking about is GitHub. But actually, in the background, uh, there is a lot of uh, R&D work and releases uh, been, uh, been happening for Azure DevOps. Yeah, there's been a bit, a bit I would say, on, on the Azure DevOps. Not as much as we are hearing on, on the GitHub side. I think I actually read at some point that most of the developers for Azure DevOps was being moved to GitHub. <laughs> not sure if that's correct or not, but maybe Microsoft no. can come on that later on. Yeah, I think I've read the same thing. I think it was after the MS Build or something. I read something that said, oh, where is, um, uh, Azure DevOps is going to GitHub. And I went to myself, where's this news where's this news article came from and literally mm -hmm. i couldn't find nothing in regards to it being a uh, fact but um yeah that's what social media is about ain't it? Uh, a bit of gossip definitely so so there's a lot of stuff i love about the, the, the azure devops um, part of it with uh, all the work items and so on being able to trace my work and as uh, chris said you can actually couple those things together with GitHub. So you can uh, do all your work items relations uh, just by checking your commits and so on. So you actually get the same experience that you would at, at a native Azure DevOps experience. You can move that to, to the GitHub and use the actions or the pipelines, whatever you need, feel the need for. So I'm definitely a GitHub fan as well. I'm, I'm using GitHub for my personal stuff. Um, at work, we're using DevOps uh, because that's more customer friendly, I think, because they can control all the stuff in the same portal and not having to shift. Um, if GitHub was to get some of the, the work control as well inside of that, um, maybe I would consider moving customers in there full, but uh, we're not quite there yet. So, so DevOps still has a, has a place, I think. I think, yeah, like you say, you, you, it's, it's missing that like uh, that Azure AD integration, um, being able to uh, uh, use those uh, credentials yeah, from Microsoft uh, and controlling those yeah, in your organization. Um, I haven't seen that. I don't think that exists. Uh, I could be completely wrong. But from, oh, it does. <laughs> it does. If you have get a bit inspired, you can actually couple it together with the integration. There you go. That's but that, I, uh, I'm bull that. You have I, to I, license I, everyone. <laughs> yeah, and you have to license every user in there. So if you have a few hundred users or 2,000 users in your AD, you have to license everyone. Uh, I so, think this is where things get interesting with GitHub is, you know, you've got github.com, which is what a lot of people think of when they think of github and you've got github enterprise server which is a bit like azure devops server where you can go ahead and kind of host your own instance of an azure devops or host your own instance of a github on a, on a virtual machine as an appliance and exactly as martin said that ad integration is there it is possible um it'll be interesting to see you know if slash what happens with github and whether it gets that as a kind of a cloud service like azure devops is today but i think what what I do like about GitHub, and I say this a lot in my own um, talks and things that I do as well, is and bring it back actually to uh, the infrastructure as code point and bringing security into pipelines. Um, they're focusing a ton on DevSecOps. So GitHub last year acquired a company called Semel. And Semel, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, you may have heard of projects like Dependabot, you may have heard uh, of CodeQL, for example. Um, these are all tools that effectively help you bring security, shift it left away from that kind of operational state 
early on into the development cycle. So then you can go and scan your code, for example, for potential paths which lead to vulnerabilities. Um, you can go ahead and automatically go and upgrade your versions of your packages, for example, or even get uh, notified and alerted and have a pull request automatically created if there is a package with a security vulnerability in your uh, in your environment, for example. And I think that's where when you start looking at Azure DevOps and GitHub, that's where some of the great pieces come together because you've got boards, for example, in Azure DevOps that are you know enterprise in nature. They've been there, they've been tried and tested, and they work really well. But then you've got some of this innovation, as we were kind of alluding to earlier, GitHub Code Spaces, for example, as well, uh, all focused around the repos inside of GitHub. So absolutely a kind of best of both discussion, I think, to to get the value from each there. But exciting times ahead in the DevOps space. It's uh, never been a better time to be a DevOps enthusiast, I think. Yeah, it's something that I really am interested in myself personally on the infrastructure side, yeah, DevOps and everything, yeah, because of the, the, the culture change here for infrastructure, um, it, it's more going towards that DevOps approach. Um, and yeah, definitely, yeah, it, it is going to be uh, an interesting few years ahead of us it, it, it has changed in the last even the last few months yeah it's, it's just it keeps evolving and more and more comes out of it and definitely i can see um in over the next couple of years that it, um a more of a devops approach here will come across um um and uh that um a bit uh that ethos yeah uh will be uh picked up by infrastructure people and uh developer people security and it just merge into that particular uh, a team for say or uh that ethos uh that uh, ability of devops being integrated into people's day-to-day -day work just okay we're gonna do this and we'll think about devops approach and we'll do that that and that and um and that's how I, I think yeah, that we're going to see the next couple of years is going to be like. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting time for all of us in the, the uh, cloud and uh, infrastructure and development world, really. So, okay. I don't know if you guys got any other um, points or uh, questions um, before we end it. No, I don't think for me. I think it's been a good discussion. Enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, same for me. I enjoyed it. Brilliant. Great to hear. So uh, just one final point. Yeah, I've noticed on Twitter um, that a lot of uh, people are uh, congratulating each other for their MVPs. So uh, I'd like to say uh, well done to all those who uh, received their MVPs as a uh, the of this i think it's like every first of the month so uh congratulations uh your content is well uh, received especially from myself yeah i read a lot of content and i see a lot of material from on youtube and on uh, individual platforms so um uh thank you um i wanted to make sure that was uh, on this uh, podcast um so uh, i'd like to thank uh, my guests chris and martin for joining me today for talking uh, uh azure and uh, I hope to speak to you all soon uh, on our next show in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, we will announce the speakers then. Bye-bye. <laughs>